Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church, North Adelaide. You can find more great things like this at citylight.church slash North Adelaide. I'm going to be reading the Bible for us this morning. Uh, our first reading is going to be coming from Psalm 23. And you can find that in your pew Bibles on page 862. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And our New Testament reading is coming from John chapter 10, starting at verse 11. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. And my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, he is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Thanks, Ellen, for reading. Good morning, everyone. It's nice to see you. I'm Jacko, um, otherwise known as Simon, and I'm lead pastor here. It's nice to see you this morning. Uh, We're continuing our series, if you're new amongst us, in what we're calling Jesus According to Jesus, uh, Seven Things. God says about himself in John's gospel. Uh, We're thinking, you know, again, many people have opinions of who Jesus is. He was a good teacher. He healed people and things like that. We have all these ideas of who we think Jesus was. But here in this series, as we open the year, is really to think about who did Jesus actually say he was himself from his own lips. And so we've been working our way through these seven I am statements of the Lord Jesus recorded in 
John's Gospel, and that's going to see us all the way sort of up into Easter and then uh, through Easter, Good Friday, and then Easter and Easter Sunday. Um, that's where we're going. So welcome to week four, I think it is, of our series at the moment. Um, just a couple of things to let you know before I get you to turn to the person and get you to talk about some random thing. Um, first thing to say is I appreciate, and I want to say publicly, thank you to all the people who've been praying for me and my family around my uncle's deteriorating health. Um, just wanted to let you know he died on Saturday evening, late in the night, um, and uh, yeah, I'll be heading over there later this week just for a quick trip to um, be part of the final burial of him and a celebration of his life. Um, and so, yeah, thank you for praying. Just sort of let you, I'll fill you in on that. Um, so thank you for praying. Um, secondly, yeah, we've been at conference, uh, Acts 29. If you're new to us here at City Light Church North Adelaide, we are part of a local little network of churches here in, across Adelaide, metropolitan Adelaide, but we're part of a bigger uh, organisation called Acts 29, which is a organisation um, all about planting churches um, all across the world. And we're, we're one of, here at North Adelaide, one of about 850 churches all across the globe. Over the past few days, um, we had our Asia-Pacific Acts 29 conference. That's the region we're in, and that includes Australia, New Zealand. Um, you heard some voices on that little video. Japan, Vietnam, Nepal, Philippines, um, you name it. Um, New Zealand, everyone is in there. So we had a little get... We had not so much a little get-together, but our regional conference over the past few days. And it was encouraging to be with brothers and sisters from across our area, uh, to sit under God's word, to sing praises of his name, to be in seminars and things like that. So a few of us got to go to that, which was really encouraging, and I think those who went found it encouraging. Um, and uh, so you can find those people after church and ask them about it. Um, the teaching, the Bible teaching was great. Um, and so I just want to say, if you were at conference over the past few days, just reset your expectations for this morning. Um, it's, it's me um, you know, so just adjust yourself. And if you're regular, you know, you know what to expect, right? You know, like, um, anyway, with all that in mind, let me, I want to get you to turn that this is very random this morning, so hang on to your hats. Let's just say you are walking down the street, um, you're on your own, you're walking down the street, and you see someone walking their dog down the street, and the dog's barking a little bit and a bit sort of boisterous. Um, maybe it's Tran and Delph walking Nala down the street. Anyway, um, you're walking down the street, the dog's sort of a bit yappy and a bit boisterous. Do you, like, go, I'm just going to walk up, I love dogs, I'm going to see if I can pacify it and pat it, you know, roll around on the ground a little bit with it? Or are you the kind of person who goes, I'm going to cross to the other side because I'm freaking out about yappy, barking dogs? Talk to the person next to you about that scenario. Are you the, I love dogs, are you the, oh, get me out of here, it looks freaky. Go, have a chat with the person next to you. It may or may not have anything to do with what we're talking about this morning. Alrighty, come back together. Don't know, we don't always get feedback, we don't always sort of find out answers, but you know, this is a fairly simple one down the line. Uh, so let's, let's do this. Uh, who's the love dogs? I'll go over and pacify it and roll around on the ground if I can with it. Who's that sort of person? Yeah, a few people. Who are, who are on the other side? Who are like, cross the street, jump the fence? Yeah, right, yeah. And everyone else doesn't care about dogs at all. Like, <laughs> didn't even know it was there. Didn't notice the dog. Um, 
that, again, may or may not have anything to do with what we're about to look at. But let's pray. Let's pray. Um, Give us now, O Lord, what we do not have in our natural selves. Love for one another, forgiveness for those who hurt us, wisdom to understand the times in which we live, generosity for the poor, compassion for the needy, heads and hearts that know how to show mercy, hearts that love truth. Father, make us a humble, happy people this morning by reminding us of your great news, of the good news of Jesus. By your Spirit, cause us to despair of ourselves, but be totally confident in your love and righteousness. And Lord, give us ears this morning, all those you've brought here, Give us ears to hear your voice speaking to us through your word, that each one of us may today know afresh, perhaps even for the first time, life, and have it abundantly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Do you have John chapter 10, verse 11 to 21 open in front of you? That would be a good thing to do. I want to start by saying this morning, Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, was not for the faint-hearted. I hope you can see that as we've been working our way through the Gospel of John. Wherever he goes, we find Jesus to be someone who is controversial and somewhat provocative. He was not a placid, vaguely kind of spiritual, um, cosmic, harmony, religious sort of guru. He made audacious claims about himself. And some people hated him for it. Like, hated him, totally hated him whilst other people worshipped him. Some people thought, he's the son of God. Some people thought, surely he has a demon. His teaching, his miracles, his self-identification elicited strong reactions from people, especially, we see in our passage, among the Jews. He was not the person, he wasn't the kind of person who you could just sort of brush aside and say, oh, yeah, 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 I I know Jesus, I've heard of Jesus, I respect him, He's, he's good with kids. Yeah, I know him, he's good. You either loathed him as a blasphemer or you were drawn to him that you might love him as your Lord. One of the chief ways that I hope and pray that as we look at the Gospel of John through these sermons in the I Am statements of John, that each of us, whether you're nine, whether you're five, whether you're 95, that encountering Jesus will cause you, maybe for the first time, maybe for the hundredth time, to come face to face and shoot straight with Jesus, do business with Jesus, to look at him squarely in the eye and consider the claims he makes about himself and the claims he makes upon your life and say, is he crazy or is he the Christ? Do you believe that this man, this man Jesus, who walked on our planet, who actually walked on planet Earth, you you could go and you you could visit, you can go and visit the places where he talked and walked and ate and drank, that that this man, do you believe that this man, Jesus Christ, was the bread of life? That he was the light of the world? That he is the gate for the sheep? Do you hear his voice? See, if you're just casually interested in Jesus, then I wonder if you've actually come face to face with the real Jesus. 
Let me say that again. If you're just casually interested in Jesus, I wonder if you've come face to face with the real Jesus. You've kept him at arm's length, perhaps. You have thought of him as something just to kind of round out your kind of life package. Um, Just a, a habit that might be good to engage in a few times a year or a couple of times a month. It's not the real Jesus. As we've seen over and over again in John's Gospel, when people encounter Jesus, there is division. I don't know if you saw that or spotted that as Ellen was reading John chapter 11, uh, 10, 10, verses 11 to 21. Down in chapter verse 19, we read that there was a schisma. That's in the Greek, which is where we get the English word schism from. There is division. You know, no one is like meh about Jesus, right? He's a demon or he's divine. And listen, right, if, if Jesus is not divine, if he is a demon, if he's just a delusional man, then do not waste your time with the Bible. Don't waste your time with City Light Church North Adelaide. Don't come to here on Sunday mornings. I don't know, go across the road to Pippo and have poached eggs on sourdough toast and soy decaf lattes. Like, do that. Don't waste your time asking Jesus into your heart, teaching our kids the stories, because, well, if they're not true. But listen, if he is divine, there's nothing he can't do. There's no one he can't heal. There's nothing he can't forgive. There's nothing he can't ask of you. And there's nothing that we ought not to be willing to give up in order to follow him. Here we have in this passage the fourth of the seven I am statements. We've had I am the bread of life. We've had I am the light of the world. We've had I am the gate for the sheep. That was last week. And now this week, twice in our little section, verse 11 and then verse 14, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Saw last week, if you were here last week, that that sheep shepherd imagery is really common in the ancient world, super common throughout the Old Testament in the Bibles that we have would have been really understandable to Jesus' audience. Um, They'd all seen flocks of sheep, you know, being led out of a sheep pen by shepherds and sheep kind of following them around in rural areas. Um, You know, I described last week that it would have been like a little house and next to the house would have been a stone wall with some briars on the top and some sheep hanging out in there and you'd have like someone who'd be like the the gatekeeper who'd let out the sheep and then the shepherd would sort of know the sheep, call the sheep and they'd come to him and then they'd walk around and he'd lead them to food and protect them and all that sort of stuff. Jesus declared last week, I am the gate. Now he says, I'm the shepherd. Don't misunderstand the metaphor. Jesus did not, or sorry, shepherding did not involve, in the times in which Jesus lived, shepherding did not involve a man with a nicely kept beard, you know, with beard oil and, you know, a comb in his pocket. Didn't it sort of, it wasn't, a, you know, a man with a beard, with a long flowing white robe, looking pensively off into the distance, reciting poetry, you know, and then holding one of those question mark sticks, you know, like that's, It's not the picture, right? They actually weren't kind of cuddly people. Um, Don Carson says in his commentary, there's a quote, he says, many people in the industrialized West 
are inclined to think of shepherds as sentimental beings, perhaps somewhat effeminate, with their arms full of cuddly lambs, and the English adjective good does nothing to dissuade us from these misconceptions. But the shepherd's job was tiring and manly and sometimes dangerous. The word kalos, translated good, suggests maybe nobility or worth, right? Jesus may be saying, I am the noble shepherd. I am the worthy shepherd. You see, if you were a shepherd, right, you had a mix of what we might call soft virtues and hard virtues. Here's my picture. Um, (laughs) Soft tacos and hard tacos. I don't know if they had tacos back then, but anyway, you know, you get the picture. Um, Soft virtues and hard virtues. If you're a shepherd, that's your combination, right? A shepherd, firstly, right, was, was daring, Um, 1 Samuel 17, David said to Saul, I think it's on the screen, David says to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock. I went after it, struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. It's a daring occupation, right, being a shepherd. Lions, bears, tigers, rah, rah. That's braver than I am. I am, you're looking at a very weak pastor, shepherd, person. I am not very courageous, right? I went for a walk this morning and I saw in the distance two dogs, two dogs in the distance, and they were, you know, tiny little yelper dogs, you know, yip, 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 yip. And they see me, and I'm very intimidating to dogs, right? Like, as I said last week, I think the Lord just knows that I need sermon illustrations, so he puts dogs in my life. Um, these things, right, just pulling, like it was, it was an older man, and they're just by pulling his master along, yep, 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 yep like all over the place. Um, I'd, li- I'd, I'd like to say that I'm pretty brave, right, when it comes to barking, yelping puppies, but it's not, like, I'm not. Um, I, I just want to jump the fence, actually. I'm looking around, what fence can I jump over? And then, If they're bigger dogs, right, I'm looking for the fence. If they're little dogs, I'm thinking, how hard will I have to kick it? Like, um, I'm not for animal rights when dogs are nipping at my legs. But anyway, um, I think I would not want to rescue, all that to say, a sheep from a dog, let alone rescue a sheep from a lion or a bear. A shepherd was daring. But a shepherd was also tender. Isaiah 40, verse 11. The sovereign Lord tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms, carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Tender. A shepherd was also ruler. 2 Samuel 5. The Lord said to David, You will shepherd my people Israel, and you will become their ruler. A shepherd was also compassionate. Psalm 95. He is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. The shepherd was tender, a ruler. He was compassionate. The shepherd also protects, Micah 4. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will be live securely. For then his greatness will reach the ends of the earth, and he will be their peace. And of course, we had it read, Psalm 23, a shepherd provides. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil for you, my God, my good shepherd, are with me. 
One author I read describes shepherding in the ancient world as a subtle blend of authority and care. It's important that you get both of those things. I said the shepherd excelled in both soft virtues and hard virtues. And some of us have a vision of God, right, where we have only one or the other. We only have God is all authority or God is all care. You know, God is all authority. He's a sort of despot, you know, who we must acquiesce to his word and, you know, we must worship him, we must come to him for forgiveness. He's great, he's mighty, he is majestic, he's the judge. But on the other side, some of us only have soft virtues for God. He's all tenderness and care and compassion and would never possibly scold or discipline those he loves. And you see, when we have that view of God, right, then it sometimes translates into the view we have of others in authority over us, thinking they should only have either authority or always have only care, and not realising that to be a shepherd, a shepherd in the household of God is to have both. That is actually how you ought to pray for me, your lead pastor, and our elders here at church, our under-shepherds. It's easy always to be soft. It's easy always to be hard. You don't need the work of the Spirit to be really either one of those two things. You might have a certain personality, right? It's easy to go off in one direction or to the other. It takes a work of God. It takes a work of the Holy Spirit to have both these excellencies in a shepherd. And we see both of those excellencies in the good shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was both authority and care, hard and soft. You know, to have a shepherd who is daring and tender, a ruler and also compassionate, the one who protects and provides, who doesn't just turn a blind eye to sin, but yet moves in the direction of the struggling sheep. So pray that it would be so for me and for those who lead here. Shepherds exercise authority over the sheep. He leads them, guides them, disciplines them, gets them where they need to go, but he also demonstrates great care and compassion. He protects them, but pays attention to their needs. He binds up their wounds. It's the very definition to use what has become sort of a cliche term, the very definition, isn't it, of servant leadership. Think of those two words. What is a leader? Well, in my simple definition of a leader, a leader is someone who has followers. You know, if you think you're a leader and then you kind of turn around and no one's there, then maybe you're not kind of leading anybody. A leader has followers. What is a servant? A servant who is, is someone who seeks the best for those who they serve. Therefore, a servant leader is someone who has followers, leading people somewhere, but his interest is not in what his followers might provide for him or her, but for what they can provide for the followers. We need to be both servant leaders in whatever, God's, whatever roles God has given to us. And even more than that, we need to look to the one who is our good shepherd. Our good shepherd. We need to look to Jesus, our good shepherd. I might have mentioned this before. Um, actually, I probably have mentioned this before. I like languages. Um, I like the original languages, the biblical original languages. Um, 
I'm not great when it comes to Latin, though. Like, that's not one of my strong points by any stretch. But I did, I kind of like when you can find little interesting nuggets in the Latin, like in other languages, things that like go, ooh. And maybe you're going, I didn't experience that at all, Jacko. I don't know what you're talking about. When you get these little sort of interesting sound bites and things like that. I don't know if you know this, but um, the, there's an original translation of the Bible, which is called the Vulgate. Um, and that's the Latin, right? And that was in about the, the 400s when we had this Latin translation of the Vulgate, really intru- influ- influential in church history. Um, I looked up John chapter 10, verse 11 to 21 in the Vulgate. Um, and in the Latin, Jesus says this about himself. He says, I am the pastor bonus. That's what he says. I like that. He's the pastor bonus. Pastor meaning shepherd, bonus meaning good. I mean, we have, like, you have a lead pastor, you have elders, you have some DG leaders who kind of operate like shepherds, right? But what we all really need, what you need, you need the pastor bonus. That's who we need in our life. Jesus is the good shepherd, the pastor bonus. And what I want to look at now is why is he the good shepherd? Um, Three reasons from our text this morning why Jesus is the good shepherd. Number one, um, Jesus is the good shepherd because he knows his Sheep. He knows the sheep. We saw this last week in verse 3. The watchman opens the gate. The sheep listen to his voice. He calls them out by name. And when he's brought out all that he owns and all that know his voice, he goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. Now we have much the same thing in verse 14. Verse 14, chapter 10. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. In this little section, Jesus adversely compares himself to the hired hand. He says, I'm not the hired hand, right? Someone who kind of comes in and hopefully you're not this sort of employee or hopefully you don't have these sorts of employees at your workplace. But he's not the kind of person who you know, comes to work and says, well, it's not my business. I don't own the place, right? I just punch on the clock and I punch out. I don't really care what happens around here, right? Now, Jesus didn't, does, did not consider, hmm, I think I took the test, you know, like I, I ought to maybe, maybe it, I took this test about what career I should have and it says, consider being a Messiah. Hmm, why don't I give Messiahship a go, right? Mom, Dad, what do you think? Should I be a Messiah? What do you think? Well, actually, there's something we need to tell you, son. Like, you know, like, it's not how it works. I don't really like carpentry, Dad. Why don't I try being the Messiah? Just give it a whirl. No, he is the good shepherd. Not because he's doing it to make a living, but because he knows his sheep. He's not the hired hand. They know him. He does not run away when the wolf comes. If David could go after lions and bears, then how much more will Jesus protect us and stand by us in the face of danger? He cannot leave his sheep. I read a story in a book several years ago, um, which was a story about a family living in Florida, in the Everglades in Florida, which my understanding is the Everglades, there's more alligators in the Everglades than there are humans, like lots of alligators, true story. As you hear these stories from time to time, right, that the family was in the back playing when the husband and wife saw an alligator kind of come out of the bushes. And if that's not enough, simply seeing an alligator in your backyard, the alligator came and grabbed one of their children and dragged the child, you know, back into the bushes and then towards the water. 
the father, right, seeing this, he's like running into the house, trying to find his gun, trying to find the ammunition, trying to work it out. Meanwhile, while he's off doing that, the wife, the mum, right, does what any good mum would do, right? She jumped on the alligator, kicked the alligator, right, hit it, bit it, screamed at it until it let her child go, and then she fainted. Now, I'm not necessarily saying, right, that the father in that story was like the hired hand, but the mother was certainly like the good shepherd, yeah? You've got one of my babies, and you don't come between a mum and her babies, right? Bam, she went and rescued her child. How much more does God care for us and rescue us because he knows us? And you see verse 15. It says that Jesus knows us and we know him. Just as you see, you know, this, you see this analogy, just as the Father knows me, I and I know the Father. You know, lest you think that the doctrine of the Trinity is just some difficult theological maths problem, right? One in three, three in one, how does it all work? Just trying not to be a heretic when I talk about things like that. How does it matter in my life? Well, here it does. If you don't know how the Father and the Son relate to each other, you'll not feel the depth of your own relationship with Jesus. The Father is one with the Son. God the Father is one with God the Son. He knows Him. He sends Him. He understands Him. And the Son is one with the Father. He hears Him. He obeys Him. He enjoys Him. He delights in Him. There is perfect unity between the Father and the Son, an ontological unity, unity in both being and essence, and a relational unity. There's no misunderstanding between the Father and the Son, no hurt feelings, no competing perspectives. They truly know each other as any two persons could possibly know one another. And so in the same way, just think about it, in the same way that the Father knows the Son so the shepherd knows his sheep. The son knows and is known by the father, and in the same way we are known and we know the son. I wonder, brothers and sisters, do you have anything approximating this? It will never be fully, but we'll never fully grasp it, but, but approximating that sort of closeness with the Lord Jesus Christ. That familiarity with Jesus. He knows you. Do you know him? With the same level of delight and passion as the father and the son. It's a picture of the shepherd and the sheep. Again, Don Carson says, the love of the father for the son and the love of the son for the father are logically prior to the love of God for the world and the basis that makes salvation possible. I hope that's of some comfort to you. The doctrine of the Trinity is meant to be a massive comfort to you and to me if you're a believer. You know, in those moments, right, how do I know that God really knows? Well, does the Father know the Son? How do I know if Jesus is really with me? Is the Son always there at the right hand of the Father? Father and the Son indwelling one another we have this union and communion with Christ. The good shepherd knows his sheep. I once saw a t-shirt, um, someone was wearing this, and it said, Jesus loves you, 
And then it said again, then again, he loves everybody. I think that's how some, some people think about it. Jesus knows me. Well, that's his job. Jesus loves me. Yeah, he loves everybody. And at one level, it's true. But you know what I want to say today? There is, there is a uniqueness to the shepherd's knowledge of his sheep. Yes, God, in some sense, may love everyone made in his image. He does love everyone made in his image. But much more common in Scripture is, is this covenantal language, or here, the agricultural language. Jesus knows you. It's a difference between, I don't know, your love for the children you have in City Kids right now, you love them, you wish them well, and the love you have for all the kids in City Kids right now. There's a famous incident, right? There was a, a guy named Phil Graham, he's a politician, earlier generation, he was talking about economic policy and how he thought his economic policy, he thought about his economic policy strictly in terms of how they would be good for his own children. Someone in the audience once said, well, think about all of our children as well. I love your children, Phil, as much as you do. To which his response was, okay, what are their names? Now, you don't love my children the way that I love my children. Jesus, our good shepherd, has specific knowledge of, particular love for, the sheep. His sheep. You know, just as I am able to, when I'm preaching up the front here, and I hear Fletcher scream at the top of his lungs because, you know, he doesn't get to answer the question, you know, and I can know amongst the cacophony of sound in City Kids that that's him again. So Jesus has a particular love for you, he knows you. He loves you by overemphasizing a different kind of love that he has for everyone. It just sort of takes away the beauty of it, I think. Remember that line in the film, The Incredibles? If everyone is special, then no one is. Jesus is the good shepherd because he specifically, especially knows you if you are his sheep. He calls them out by name. You're not just a number. You're not just a bleating voice among the many bleating voices in the flock. He knows you. He knows me. He's a good shepherd because he knows the sheep. Second, Jesus is the good shepherd because he brings all the sheep into one flock. When Jesus says in verse 16, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen, he's thinking about Gentiles. He's thinking about people from the nations. He's thinking about people from Adelaide. Isn't that cool? Think in Isaiah 56, verse 8, the sovereign Lord declares, he who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. In other words, right, the Messiah, it was predicted, would not only restore the lost tribes of Israel, Isaiah 49, 6, but that would be too small a thing just to kind of restore the lost people of Israel. He would be a light for the Gentiles, a light for the nations, a light for the Philippines, Vietnam, India, Nepal, you name it. Paul explains in Ephesians chapter 3, later in the New Testament, the mystery is that through the gospel, uh, the Gentiles, the nations, are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, so he's describing this supernatural reconciling work 
first reconciliation must be between us and God, when that's happened, we then, by the power of the Spirit, are reconciled not just to God, but reconciled to all others in the flock. Jews, Gentiles. It's almost impossible for us to really put our heads and hearts to think how scandalous this was, right? Gentiles, one flock, in with Israel, with one shepherd. You see in verse 16, it sounds even better in the Greek. It says, one poimer, one poimen. Same word, different accent. One sheep place, one sheep person. That you could translate it. One flock, one shepherd. Jesus' point is emphatic. If we are one group of sheep, then we have one shepherd. There are unfortunate times Unavoidable sometimes, divisions based on theological discernment or error. But that's not the theology, that's not the oneness that Jesus is talking about here. Insofar as there is true theological, spiritual oneness under one shepherd, there is only one flock for Jews and for Gentiles, for people with black skin and white skin, Asian people, First Nations people, rich, poor, old, young together in one flock. Um, There's this really nice moment at the Acts 29 conference um, where um, the guy who was on the video from, um, from New Zealand, Anthony, who was speaking uh, Maori, um, he uh, it was like a little, a little pastor's session um, the day before the conference sort of got going and we're all in there together and Anthony's up the front being interviewed and... Um, one of the questions to Anthony was, hey, Anthony, like, what, do, what do you find really encouraging right now about where the Asia-Pacific Acts 29 network is? And uh, Anthony goes, the first thing I want to say is, it's really cool that there's more melanin in the room. Um, if you don't know what that is, it's the pigment in the skin that makes some skin a little bit darker. And it was great. It was this beautiful moment of like, yes, yes, it's so good. Um, a blend of people greater than just, you know, like one kind of person. It's just so wonderful. And I, I just think it's really cool that here at City Light Church in North Adelaide, as we've grown and changed and developed over the time, I look out and what used to be kind of a fairly flat, sort of monocultural kind of vibe here, um, I think one of the things that I look at, even looking at your beautiful faces right now, is that there's just growing diversity in terms of background and colour and ethnicity and it's a picture, I think, of the oneness to which Jesus is speaking about here. One flock made up of people from every tribe, language, people, and tongue gathered together under one shepherd. And I want to encourage us as a church. Um, I, think this, I think this brings glory to God, right? When we see people from different backgrounds with different histories and backgrounds and cultures and expectations coming together, and not just being unified. Diversity is wonderful, but even then beyond that, to love one another. It is a work of the Spirit. Our efforts at relational oneness in church must always start with our theological oneness in Christ. That's the lasting basis for true reconciliation and unity. You know, we come from the same parents, each one of us, Adam and Eve. 
We were all born of the same sin nature. We need the same Savior. And insofar as we believe in Christ, we have one God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, one faith, one hope, one baptism, one flock, one shepherd. And when you have all that oneness, it gives us a lot of ballast to work hard at sticking together and staying together, come what may. Jesus is the good shepherd because he knows his sheep. Jesus is the good shepherd because he brings all the sheep into one flock. Thirdly, Jesus is the good shepherd because he lays down his life for the sheep. When Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd because I lay my life down for the sheep, I have every reason to believe that he had in his mind a number of Old Testament expectations as he spoke those words. Prophecies declared hundreds, hundreds of years before he arrived on planet Earth. Zechariah 11, 7 and 8 prophesied that a Messiah would come and he would be a rejected shepherd. Zechariah 12.10, the Messiah, he would be one who was pierced and then mourned over. Zechariah 13.7, we see the Messiah as a shepherd, struck down by the Lord himself. All of these images from the book of Zechariah coming together, a Messiah who is a shepherd, a shepherd who is rejected, a shepherd Messiah who is pierced and is struck Jesus is claiming that he will be the fulfillment of all that God promised the world through the prophet Zechariah. This rejected, pierced Messiah, shepherd, will freely lay his life down for the sheep. And you notice how important that language is in verse 18. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. Sometimes you you hear this language, right, and it's really blasphemous. People say, you know, well, your view of what happened on the cross, your view of the atonement when God made an at-one-ment between people and himself, when that atonement, you talk about the atonement, you know, the father piercing his son for the sins of the world, that's some kind of like cosmic child abuse. Have you heard that sort of kind of come back at you? What sort of father does that to his son? fails in so many ways, and it's almost blasphemous, right? Here we see one of the chief ways in which that horrible analogy falls down. No one took the son's life from him. This is not a a son kind of cowering in the corner, beaten up by some angry, vengeful father. No, in this divinely, eternally, before the world even began kind of compact between the father and the son, it was agreed that the work that each would do to accomplish redemption, the father appointing and sending the son, and the son willingly and freely giving himself as the good shepherd for the sheep. Sometimes we can think of Jesus as a victim. I suppose he was a victim, right, in some ways. People mistreated him, um, giving him what he didn't deserve. But in another sense, we must never think of Christ as a victim. It was freely, voluntarily that he gave his life for ours. This is an example, actually, again, of how all of us or any of us who are leaders or aspire to be leaders or to think about what it looks like to be an under-shepherd of God's people. 
It's a sobering reminder for God's shepherds in the church. This line from Calvin struck me. It is the universal duty of all pastors or shepherds to defend the doctrine which they proclaim, even at the expense of their own life, and to seal the doctrine of the gospel with their blood. And then he says this. I think there's another slide. Is there another slide? No, no other slide. It says this. It must be held that a pastor ought to prefer his own flock or even a single sheep more than his own life. It's the calling of the pastor. You know, make no mistake though, the, God, the good shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, does not lay down his life merely as an example for us to follow. It doesn't just die as an example to set for the sheep, right? To follow in the world. Um, you know, some people imagine the cross and the atonement to kind of work that way. Nothing but an example. You know, look at this beautiful example of God's love for us. Well, it is that, but it's not merely that. You know, it's as if the good shepherd, right? It's not just not merely an example, right? It's as if the good shepherd, right, is, you know, like running headlong to a cliff, you know, diving off the edge to his death. And as he goes down, he says, see how much I love you. Boom. Some example, right? No, the good shepherd, Jesus does for us what he does because we are in danger. There are wolves. They're in jeopardy. He gives up his life as the shepherd for the sheep. It's a voluntary exchange, free, full, particular, and perpetual. The life of the shepherd for the life of the sheep. I just took a glance at the clock, and I've kind of calibrated that with how many words I've got yet to go. And I'm like, maybe I should just like, you know, excise a big chunk, or we can come back next week. Um, Let me just think. No, um... What I want to say here at this point is like Jesus' death on the cross is not just simply an example for us to follow. When Jesus laid down his life on the cross, he exchanged his life for our life. His life for the life of the sheep. And I think it's really important. I don't want to go into this in too much detail. You can ask me later over a, like a glass of water or something. I think the coffee machine shut down. But I just want to say here, when, when Jesus died on the cross... He didn't just die to say, here, I've done pretty much all the work that needs to happen. Now all you need to do is just kind of finish the job and go, I accept you, Lord Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, he died to actually save us. Those whom the Father drew to him, he dies for them particularly. The sheep. Jesus didn't just die for, he didn't die for the wolves. He died for the sheep. If you're here this morning and you've heard the voice of Jesus call you, then Jesus died for you. And his blood and his body has saved you. He saved you. Jesus died for his people. Jesus didn't just simply die on the cross to merely make it possible for sinners to come to him. He efficiently and effectively has saved those he drew to himself. It's wonderful. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep.
J.I. Packer writes this, It cannot be overemphasised that we have not seen the full meaning of the cross till we have seen the particular redemption as the centre of the gospel. Flanked on one hand by total inability and unconditional election, and on the other by irresistible grace and final preservation. For the full meaning of the cross only appears when the atonement is defined in terms of these four truths. Christ died to save a certain company of helpless sinners upon whom God has set his free, saving love. Christ's death ensured the calling and the keeping, the present and the final salvation of all those sins he bore. This is what Calvary meant and means. The cross saved, the cross saves. We have one who's laid down his life for us, his life for our life. We have one who says, I was pierced for your transgressions. I was crushed for you. I was killed for your iniquities. I've purchased with my blood men and women for God from every tribe and language and people and nation for myself. I myself bore your sins in my body on the tree so that you might die to sin and assuredly live for righteousness. For Jesus says, my wounds have not merely made healing possible my wounds have healed you. My death has saved you. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, join me this morning in giving praise to our good shepherd who lays down his life once for all, infallibly, irresistibly, unconditionally, perfectly and effectively for his beloved sheep. The good shepherd knows his sheep like he knows you, better than you know yourself. The good sheep, the good shepherd gathers all his sheep into one flock. Praise God for our diverse, multicultural expression of God's universal church here this morning. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, for you. He saved you. Let's pray. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we give you Thanks for so great a salvation that you sent your Son not merely to remove obstacles so that we might come to you, but to die as a perfect sacrifice in the place of horribly imperfect sinners. We claim these this morning as our own. We cling to your cross. We don't cling to our own righteousness, not even to our faith. And so, Lord God, as we bow, as we worship at the foot of the cross this morning, we thank you for the good shepherd who shed his blood for the sheep. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church, North Adelaide. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. 
For more great content, more information about City Light Church, or to donate to the work of City Light Church North Adelaide, visit us at citylight.church slash North Adelaide.